0: Hello and welcome to Home to Her, the podcast that's dedicated to reclaiming the lost and stolen wisdom of the sacred feminine. I'm your host, Liz Kelly, and on each episode, we explore her stories and myths, her spiritual principles, and most importantly, what this wisdom has to offer us right now. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. And welcome to our show. I'm Liz, joining you as usual from central Virginia and the unceded lands of the Monica Nation. And I am so glad that you are here with me. And before we dive in, I want to remind you that my new book, Home to Her Walking the Transformative Path of the Sacred Feminine, is available for pre orders now from Womancraft Publishing. We are getting awfully close to the launch date, which is October 14th, so it won't be long now. Um, this is my love letter of sorts to the Sacred Feminine. It includes all kinds of historical insights, plus my personal experiences and revelations from guests on this show. Um, so you can learn more, you can order it at womancraftpublishing.com, and I will put that in the show notes as well. And now let's get on with it. So this conversation has been in works for a long time now, and I'm really excited that we're finally making it happen today. And a little bit of a backstory. About a year ago, a friend and I did a shamanic journey together, and if you're not familiar with these, I will vastly oversimplify it here, but um, you you lay down, um, you are listening to some drumming, either live or you can do a recorded tape, and you move into something of a trance state, and you just sort of witness and experience what happens, and there's a lot more to it than that, but that gives you an overview. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because during this particular journey, a woman appeared who identified herself as Ellen of the Ways. Now, maybe some of you have heard of her. I know that I had certainly come across her name before. For example, several years ago, I read Sharon Blackie's book, um, If Women Rose Rooted, and she talks about her there. And if you're in, if you're in the home to her Facebook group, um, you might have seen Ellen come up there as well. Other people who are part of the group have certainly mentioned her. Um, But I also have read about and learned a lot about a whole lot of goddesses and sacred feminine figures over the years, and Ellen wasn't one that specifically had called to me before. Well, after that experience, I fell down a bit of a rabbit hole learning about Ellen, and there's one woman in particular whose writings and explorations of Ellen really captivated me, and lucky for all of us, she agreed to join me on this show today. So without further ado, let me introduce her to you. Caroline Wise has had an interest in what is now known as the Earth Mysteries and the Mystical since childhood. From the late 70s to late 80s, she was associated with the Lay Hunter Journal and by extension, the Multidisciplinary Dragon Project, which sought to explore ideas of anomalous phenomena at sacred sites. This essentially led Caroline to encounter an antlered deer spirit. A close friend, an artist, was simultaneously creating visions of a horned goddess, and they called her Ellen of the Ways. Many have been drawn to this enigmatic figure in the last 20 years. Caroline has spent many years tracing the antlered goddess back in time and across the earth to the places where she first emerged, ultimately compiling the book Finding Ellen, the quest for Ellen of the Ways, which includes contributions from Andrew Collins, Caitlin Matthews, and Linda Isles among others, all of whom engaged with the elusive figure of Ellen. And this book is also how I found Caroline. Caroline has contributed to several books on the goddess, including She, Primal Meetings with the Dark Goddess. She is also known for creating the Wildwood Conferences in the 1990s that sought to find links with folklore, landscape mysteries, and modern paganism, Plus, she organized several large goddess conferences in London in the 90s and early aughts. She is joining us today from her home in London. Thank you so much for being here with us today.
1: Great to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Yes, and you know, the first thing I need to do, because this is a, a rookie, this is a mistake I should not be making at this point in the podcast. I called you Caroline. Are you Carolyn or Caroline? This is- important. Caroline. Caroline, oh, I got it right. Okay, yay. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm I'm so glad that you're here. Um, and I'd love to start, if this is all right with you, usually with guests, I usually start just by talking a little bit about um, your childhood and your religious or spiritual experiences growing up. And um, one of the reasons that I like to do this is I find so often that we had um, spiritual experiences that you know, some people have them that sort of guide them along this path and, and, and some have ones that are perhaps a guide because they're not what we need. So I'm, I'm curious about your own experience
1: okay and um, childhood wasn't necessarily happy but um we were lucky we lived um in the countryside um in a village um that was you know had its own ancient ancient roots um and a very old and important church and lots of old um, medieval buildings still and we had fields and woods and wells and streams um but we all had big gardens because we we're in the country And my, I had uh, what, it's hard to find the language for these things sometimes, um, for want of a better word, a mystical or spiritual pull um, to the garden, to when I was out in the fields, um, to the wildflowers. I loved more in the garden. The the My father did, did spent a lot of time doing the garden. I loved more of the cottage garden type plants, the old English flowers. Um, but in the fields, um, I loved the wildflowers. And it was almost like a mystical pull. Uh, you know, I didn't see the flower fairies often. I didn't see them sometimes, but certainly I could feel what I would now call nature spirits, but I didn't know that then. So it was just a, a mystical time in the gardens, in the woods and the forest. I also had a deep, love of animals uh which tied in with um so i used to i used to get these books um that my mother bought me like in a series of encyclopedias about animals and the animal world around the world there's no internet in those days of course you couldn't see images unless you had access to books like these and i Also, simultaneously fell in love with prehistoric cave paintings of animals, which my mother bought me posters of, which were up on the wall. I don't know what happened to them over all the decades. Uh, So it was animals, prehistoric, um, it was the plants, um, flowers and childhood fiction. I got into fiction very, very early, got into reading very early. Um, we had a magical library in the village. It was a uh, 15th century. Um, that had once been a place for priests to stay when they were visiting the church. Wow. Um, so it was this magical timbered building that we actually had, had to be absolutely silent in. So it had this huge charge, which today still invokes a sort of mysticism in me, that that silence, that charge. Uh, and we we read books every week, but my sister got me very early. I think I was six, seven, eight onto um, the Narnia books mm-hmm. and, Then a teacher read Puck of Pook's Hill. And when Puck um, appeared to the children, you know, this sort of supernatural little um, imp, nature spirit, this uh, spirit of the land, whatever. When he appeared to the children, I actually had what I could only describe now as a magical experience, just kind leapt out of my skin and made a connection with, I was able to make connections or understand the reality that nature spirits were around us. I think through childhood fiction mm.
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the landscape. Mm-hmm. Beautiful.
0: And then, well, and then I would imagine how, how did that kind of t- I'm imagining how that sort of tied into your work then in the in the 70s and the 80s with the ley lines. But I'm, how did that sort of inform your 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 path and your your spiritual lens um, as you moved into adulthood?
1: Well um, one thing I didn't mention you did ask about religious yes. um, like most people in this country at that time who were Church of England uh, it was it was a sort of secular Christianity um, but we went to church a lot because my father played the organ because he was a musician mm. and he um, was a scholar of church music so he loved to be able to do that and to teach um, the people to sing in the choir so I had no idea we weren't religious it was just what you did, you went to church um, and I had again that that weird sense that's hard to describe of the mystical. Um, very much aware of the liturgical year. Very much aware that the lady chapel, which my mother cleaned and did the flowers for, although she she was only nominally a Christian, um, was that the lady chapel had it had this energy that I can still feel as I'm talking to you as I ev- evoke it. Again, it had this charge like the library did. So I was already developing a sense of the magical year turning in whatever system. I mean, obviously, when I was a child, it was within Christianity. That's what we knew in the church, the turning year from the different seasons, Lent, Easter, Christmas and so on, harvest um, to that became, I suppose, a natural progression that I was already that this cycle already held an actual charge I could feel deep inside to me. Mm. Oh, wow. That's lovely.
0: And so how did that kind of – how, um, how was sort of the through line then to your,
1: your don't know. adult I've been trying thing. to think about this earlier today. <laughs> it was such a natural progression because I already – in mystical fiction that was doorways very much for many of us, mystical fiction was a doorway to this other world uh, fascination with the stars and the moon, um, so it was kind of already there. And I tried and racked my brains earlier today. I cannot think of how how I got there. I was just suddenly in that slipstream, you know. So I just, to me, when I was a teenager, I my boyfriend's family was seriously involved in the music business in a big way, and in those days, very hippie way, um, they were behind. Um, Inventing incredible sound systems, working with lots of bands, um, organising festivals that have become very famous now. Um, but in the but in those olden days, when it was very different. Uh, in the in this early seventies, um, and so f- I think from them, I was going into the new age, the more uh, um, sort of looking eastward, but then looking towards Western techniques. And I remember when I was 15 reading a remarkable book called The Centre of the Cyclone by John C. Lilly, which I can't remember much about it now, except it was about taking acid and going in a flotation tank. I didn't have flotation tanks, weren't a thing in those days. You know, this I think, something he created or some people around him created to do sort of consciousness experiments. And I know that book blew my mind when I was 15 um, and I was sort of immersed in a kind of new age music biz very hippie kind of environment, so I think that was that's I went further down the slipstream uh-huh. uh, from there at fifteen uh-huh. Uh-huh. because by twenty I was lay hunting. <laughs>
0: Well, I love that. I was having a bit of a, a I was having a bit of a moment of envy, <laughs> like, oh, I wish I'd stumbled on all of this when I was fifteen. How great would that be? Although, you know, looking back now, I'm like, oh, there were little clues along the way. I just took me a while to put them all together. But, um,
1: that's it. There's always these clues. You always actually find them when you look back. Yes. Yes.
0: Yes. They're just. Yes. At least in my case, they were subtle, and then they get louder and louder as I got older. Um, well, and can you talk to us about the ley lines? So this. It, it, for listeners who have no idea what we're referring to. Okay.
1: Yeah. The, this ley lines has uh, become quite a difficult topic To It's no longer simple. Um, Leys, the, the, the idea was brought to us um, by an inventor and businessman, uh, Alfred Watkins, who knew his local landscape intimately in a way that you can't do now, you know, in, in, in a way where there was much less people, much less the cars, um, people still riding horses. But he 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 was a businessman who travelled by car um, around various uh, businesses associated with his family, uh, and he was a photographer as well, and and he and an inventor. Um, so he had an eye, a photographer's eye, um, and he he was the one who really put Lays on the map. Excuse the pun. Um, by when he was up in the Blackmore Hills Hills. Um, just over 100 years ago now, I suppose it is, he 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 had this flash of ancestral knowledge or wisdom, he called it, or uh, some flash of ancestral insight, where he saw um, various sites laid out in straight lines across the land, which he went on to look at in some detail that could be ponds, dew ponds or ponds that flashed the sunlight Um It could be notches carved into hilltops. Um, It could be standing stones, um, particular man-made mounds or hills with um, trees on. That, If you were up on the ridges as a traveler in the prehistoric times, a trader or a drover later perhaps, um, maybe somebody trading in salt um, and you're going miles and miles away from your your locality and there's no Google Maps or sat Nav. you're up on the ridge and you can see the route you, or you can see the straight line or you can see where the terrain is not good. Um, now, he called these lines lays and he did not attach any um, mystical uh, phenomena with them. And I've been all around the world with Lays, so to speak, and I have come back very much to Watkins' ideas of what they were. But what happened in the 1970s was that very, very ungrounded and unresearched ideas, they're literally ideas popping out of people's heads. Um, Everyone's taken acid by now, and suddenly these lines are energy lines, but no one can ever explain to you what that really means. Now, I do believe that there are certain places on the earth that have Um, particular special properties and that's why the stone circles were put at those places. I mean, you could build a stone circle in your back garden if you had the money and it would look nice perhaps, but it wouldn't really, it wouldn't be very significant. I mean, these things seem to be put there because, well, they now know that a lot of um, sacred sites and and we see this with the awful things that happen to um, indigenous peoples on their lands. And it's also happening on the reindeer lands at the moment is that where these particular sites or alignments are said to have particular properties it's often found that there's a lot of uranium there or you know metals like that a lot of a lot of things that people want to mine out so this it could be that it could actually be quite a physical phenomena that, that 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 the force or the strangeness and the strange phenomena that happens there is perhaps your consciousness interacting with what's coming from um, these metals that are under the earth that the animals certainly seem to be aware of because, um, you know, why why do you have, um, for instance, under the reindeer lands uh, in Scandinavia at the moment, it's devastating because um, there's gold underneath them. So, so there seems to be something to do with precious, what we, what to humans are precious metals in the earth. But There's another theory which which helped me a lot understand the antlered ellen as being particularly associated with reindeer, um, although I associate her now with all horned animals and all deer, um, which is um, the idea of shamanic flight paths, that if you are a shaman, you, and we've, you know, most, a lot of the shamans um, are no longer there. There's no longer shamanic societies. There are still some. But in the past, in shamanic societies, the shaman, his job is to fly out of the smoke pole in a trance to see, on a very practical level, he has to see where the herds are. So, Say the herds of reindeer, later perhaps red deer, other animals. He has to be able to see where the herds are. He has to see where the predators are, like the wolves. He has, so that's the practical thing. He has to bring back messages and healing from the spirits of the ancestors of the tribe to those that need it today. So, the idea that I think was properly introduced by Paul Devereux, although I don't think he subscribes to it anymore. But we've seen in other writings of people from the fifties uh, and sixties that didn't quite make the shamanic connection, but they're talking about this this out of body flight. Um, it's it made me understand the whole story of um, you know the flying reindeer, reindeer flying through the sky, um, the shaman taking on the form of the reindeer, because um, in certain parts of the world, as I as I speak about a lot in Finding Ellen, it is the, the great reindeer or elk mother who births the shaman, you know, they have to go through a whole trance ceremony with the figure uh, of the deer mother. So I hope I'm, I'm rambling on here, but I think you have lines on the landscape. They're real. Whether or not there's grids around the world, I think that's a different thing. But certainly you can find um, in Britain, it's all I know, I'm sure it's elsewhere, Lines of five to 10 miles, so relatively short, generally, of alignments of ancient sites, which would make sense. You know, um, people wouldn't go too far beyond their boundaries. But we have the traders routes, which are these long, long, long tracks that cross Britain. Some of them incredibly old. Um, Some of them the Romans even exploited with their famous Roman straight roads by actually using the path of some of the old trackways. So I think Lays exist on many levels. Um, We don't have proper terminology. um, So lots of woo gets associated with with Lays that, that cannot be researched because it's just, as I said, just some idea. Oh, it's energy. But you have them on the ground, you have them as these shamanic flights in the air, but also, I think overarching um there's quite a lot of star lore involved, like alignment to particular stars and so on. Mm. I hope that answers your question
0: it does, and I you know the the thing that was coming up for me as you were talking is uh, and I, I'm curious how you might you know reflect on this how how this resonates with you, but it almost feels like um you know, perhaps because of all of our modern conveniences or, or, or you know, our, our separation from the intimacy with nature, that we've also really separated the mystical slash spiritual with the practical. And I would imagine ancestrally that those things would not need to be separate, that they would be intertwined together. So I'm, it, to, to me, hearing you talk, it makes perfect sense, like the, even the way you're describing the role of the shaman, the shaman is playing a very practical role, like you got to find these, you have to find these animals, right? And also playing the role of um, ancestral healing at the same time, which today we would lump more in this like spiritual category. So it also makes sense to me that these lines, whatever we call them, would have multiple, we would say multiple purposes, I guess. I wouldn't imagine our ancestors would see these things as separate at all. Or
1: No, that's absolutely right. Absolutely right. Because people were close to the earth. um, We've lost this contact. We talk about going out in nature. I do it myself. I'm guilty myself, as if we're separate from it. Right. We talk about, do animals have emotions? Because we forget that we're animals. So therefore people say, well, dogs can't show fear or or hurt. Of course they can. Uh, But I actually hear people saying this. And um, we're I think to societies up until fairly recently, in, in the West even, I would say in some very rural societies, even up until the Second World War, which is like, you know, 20th century, people were much closer to the land and their spirituality, whatever it was, um, would be practical. And and you know that is uh, that is the role of a priest of whatever religion, isn't it? He he you know whether it's you know to, to assist with baptism or baptism was done because so many babies died young and, and in their belief system you had they had to have had that done before you know they yes. could go to heaven. That which is not very nice um, mythology, um, but you know they're there for weddings, they're there for funerals, they're there for the those real things that happen to people but there's also the harvest festival and of course before christianity all of those things would have been done by pre-christian priests of of whatever spirituality and and for local people it wouldn't have been a big national thing you know yes
0: i guess the other thing that i thought of too is you're describing that and i know you you write about this or it's definitely in the book the ellen of the Ways book as well it's um You know, well, I don't actually. Let me let you confirm if I've got this right, because I I did read the book several months ago. But um, these these lines, I would also, I mean, couldn't they also? They're they're animal tracks, right? Couldn't they also be animal tracks? You're following animals, and and if you go back far enough, as you just said, we are animals. We would have been moving. Like, wouldn't these be lines, perhaps also that hold? energy and ancestral memory because we as humans have been walking them for however
1: long that we've been Absolutely. Here. Absolutely. That's a really good point. Um, back in the 90s, I mean, I'd been trying to find Ellen with no, you know, there was no internet. There was no access to academic libraries. And even if there was, these books hadn't been written. Um, and certainly ones that were available that talked about the horned um, antler goddess in those days uh, are in Russian and, and they've not been translated. Um, they're from the 1950s. But yeah, what what I had was uh, I did I had heard I I've realised from the shamanic flight thing uh, I think about nineteen eighty nine. Um, okay, this this suddenly makes sense. It's a reindeer because in those days we couldn't even understand what 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 this spirit was telling us. What what we just knew it was a deer, um, and so then suddenly everything went. Oh, in my mind it all makes sense. You have the whole christmas legend of the reindeer flying through the sky yes. bringing this bearded guy who's got presents and it's all happy and he's so it's a shaman bringing um bringing the stuff back from the spirits uh via the flying reindeer but i also um had thought heard about the story of the fly agaric mushrooms that are in the fairy stories the red and white mushroom always you know pictures with fairies and gnomes and little people and um that that the reindeer would um, eat the mushrooms which grew around the birch tree, the birch tree being the first tree to uh, establish itself after the ice age and the tree that was the central pole for the shamans' tents, well, the people's tents, and that humans can't eat this mushroom themselves. um, It's it's toxic for them. But um, long story short, it will go through the um, filter system of the reindeer, which can eat them, and then the shamans would take the snow, the reindeer would be tied to the tree, the reindeer would um, urinate, they would then melt the snow and take it that way via the reindeer uh, urine, and then they would be flying off on their shamanic trances. Um, so I thought um, I haven't got the nerve to take fly agaric because I don't know how to process it, and I haven't got a reindeer in the garden to. Right to the tree. So um, I did um, a a deep meditation one night uh, in bed, and I thought, well, let's see what 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 happens. And I visualized this whole thing of of the reindeer, and then I started to see this big big snowy landscape with, like, if children drew a railway track, it would just be the sort of two lines with. Things across it, you know, very simple, like a children's drawing, and that's what I thought I was seeing. So, as I went in closer, and then I realised I was flying above it, um, and I was looking down, and that this track, which I called afterwards the bone and antler track, this 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 track was made from the bones and antlers of reindeer that had traversed this same route on their migratory path and their path for food throughout the year, and that the bones and antlers were of those ancestors of the reindeer over millions of years that had um, either been left when they died on this path or were symbolic of all the ages of the reindeer that had walked this path. And um, as I I thought I have to again swoop down lower because I was flying, to, this is incredible. I'm thinking, uh, what what's it going to show me next? The bones and antlers started to rise up in front of me and then did a sort of weird S shape and formed into a giant elk skeleton with yeah, just enormous. Mm-hmm. And I knew I was meant to climb on her back, but the shock of this was so great. I I thought, oh my goodness, this, this is so amazing. I shocked myself out of the trance. I don't know if you've ever done that when you, you, instead of just being in it and going with it, you're like analyzing it. You think, Oh my God. So I, I shot, I came straight back down with a bit of a jolt. Um, I'm really annoyed with myself about that um, because I just wondered where, where she would have taken me. But then I realized that elk were important as well. And it, uh, on my quest, um, which took me <laughs> 30 years or so. I eventually found that there was um, a deer mother, a reindeer goddess, in Siberia, and when I had my first weird interaction when reading about Saint Helen and uh, Saint Helen, mother of Constantine, and her confusion with um, Saint Helen of Wales in a little sort of kitchen table produced magazine. Um, in the early eighties, I'd had this this thing where I was told this, this this deer thing came from beyond the step, and that's where I've actually found her now. Um, so, yes, um, it's I think having these mystical experiences it's what keeps you on the track, excuse the pun, and that keeps you trying to find out what is this all about. I mean, it's nice to just, it's nice to have lovely visions, but some, you know, this seemed to me, she was telling me from the first time she appeared to me and that time she told me she came beyond the step, find me, you know, and that, that hadn't really occurred to me all those 30 years. That's what she actually said. Um, And Yeah, that's where she is now. There's a book by uh, a scholar called Esther Jacobson, uh, which is not about Ellen. I'll come to that in a minute, Um, but it is called the deer goddess in ancient Siberia. And it talks about the deer goddess and her interaction with the shamans. And um, it also says she's interchangeable with the elk goddess or the elk mother. Um, So she is there. And I don't know if I mentioned it earlier, but um, when I first started talking about this antler goddess that my friend Jessica and I were seeing back in the eighties, um, a lot of the Wiccan high priestesses of the time, they're I mean, different now, but and it's a completely different situation now, but they got very angry with me and said, that there is no such thing as a horned goddess, it's only the horned God. Mm. And I felt that was quite sad that uh, a wonderful new religion had set some people within it, had set the cosmology in stone so early. I would say it's completely different now um, and Ellen's very welcome. That's also, it was that rejection. I mean, I had one person phone me up and say, I'm very angry about this. It was almost like I had blasphemed their religion. And um, I think that also helped me stay on the quest for so long to say, well, I've got to actually find the reality of this. And I never doubted she was there, Um, but it was quite frustrating um, trying to find her in those days. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, and I, I feel like this is a good time too to kind of make it, maybe just uh, stop for a second and kind of check in and, and help our listeners figure out, okay, so who are we talking about? Who is this Ellen? And I, I, so we've we've established you kind of found her as you were doing your research on the ley lines, but um, maybe we just back up a bit and talk about, um, yeah, who she is. Okay. <laughs> That's a big topic.
1: <laughs> who is she? She first appeared to me when I said, as I said, I was reading this little pamphlet um, that we used to exchange like Earth Mysteries magazines and pagan magazines would exchange these sort of self produced kitchen tabletop magazines that were full of amazing stuff in those days. And I was reading about this figure of Saint Helen, uh, mother of Constantine who, who made the first pilgrimage to the Holy Land and found the relics of the uh, Magi and the, Skulls of Jesus and the Two Thieves at Golgotha, incredibly important within Christendom. And she opened up the pilgrimage way, really, for uh, people to make this pilgrimage if they could to the Holy Land. And she was often confused, as I said earlier, with um, St. Helen uh, of Wales, Helen of the Hosts, who is in. Uh, The Mabinogion, it's the figure of Ellen in the Mabinogion who is based on this this, um, Ellen um, who is married off to uh, a Roman chief and is the daughter uh, of a tribal uh, Celtic chieftain. And it's a tale of a dynastic marriage. Um, But it was when reading about those figures, the confusion of those Ellens, that I had the weird experience that was... As it sort of went into a strange state, and there was this sound of these hooves rushing over hills coming down. And I, that was when I was told I come from beyond the steppe. And my friend Jessica Potter, the artist, had started drawing um, amazing images that she had. And she she had such beautiful connection um, with the natural world and with goddesses and with, with ancient sites and mythology. Um, it was like an empath- em- empathy with with the landscape and and all the myths and legends and, and goddesses of the lands, um, and we came to name her Ellen of the Ways because well I I was so involved with with the sort of ley line stuff at the time um, and an antiquarian writer who left no references a guy called Harold Bailey. In the 1920s, he'd written these old books. Um, They're completely off the wall, but he talked about this figure of Ellen of the Lanes and Ellen of the Trackways, um, like a sort of modern day goddess Diana. He saw her uh, with a hound and um, saw her sort of as an ancient British goddess. Now, um, most of what Bailey said is improvable, unprovable, but I do think that intuitively, like us, he'd made some contact I went on, as I said, to try and find her, like she asked me to, to find her. But it was in 1993 that Cheska and I were doing a ritual for um, a a local goddess group of my friends. And we did it based on Eleanor's ways, in our only way of understanding her in 1993. And I had Cheska in this sort of um, tunic, short tunic, sitting on this sort of Um, thing that was painted to look like an animal skin divinating with bones as the people walked in to the halls lit by candles and it kind of made your hair stand on end just the the whole atmosphere and imagery and at the end of the ceremony uh, a Bulgarian friend of mine came up and said, did you know that Ellen means deer in Bulgarian Hmm. and that Um, That was the moment when I realised that after looking at other European languages, Eastern European and other languages around the world, words like Ellen, Elan, Jelen, Helen all mean dear. And that moment was uh, extraordinary for me because I realised the reason I cannot find... An actual goddess in history called Ellen. Yeah, you, know, you can find saints and you can find um, Helen of Troy, and you know, an actual goddess called Ellen. The reason I can't find her after all those years is because Ellen simply means deer. So she's saying I'm the deer goddess. She's the spirit of the deer. Um, she's so old, you know. Her name just means dear. We don't, we don't know if she had any other names, or if she had different local names, or if she had different names all around the world, um, where you find um, antlered goddesses. But yeah, dear, it's just not saying um, Ellen, dear goddess. It's like saying dear, dear goddess. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite a revelation for me. That was that. Was, again, it was there were several points along this quest where you're just not for six, and that was one of them. Mm-hmm. Wow.
0: Well, and if it's, if it's okay, um, maybe I'll just, I'll share a couple of the things that came out and if, well, it's, I think one of the things that really knocked my socks off after I had this, um, this shamanic journey, i I went looking for information and, um, her, you wrote about this connection to shamans and shamanic flight. And I had just done a shamanic journey where she showed up, which was quite wild. And I've done several of those before. Um, I've never had a like someone who identified themselves in that way show up. I've I've encountered animals and things like that, but um but the other thing that there were a couple of things that happened that were really remarkable. Um I I ended up traveling upwards. I went up a tree very 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 high and I became a spider in the process and and saw this, saw this grid of light that was laying on the earth, and I started walking it as the spider, kind of tra- traversing it. And it wasn't totally flat. It almost like it 3D'd, so, you know, cause the earth is round, right? It's sort of like, you know, softened its edges. Um, and there was a lot more that happened, but I ended up going to meet this woman who clearly looked like a goddess to me. She had horns and um, she, she told me that her name was Ellen. And um, and then I don't remember. I, I wrote it all down. I don't have it in front of me, but I don't remember if I asked her a question or if she just showed me, but she pointed to a door that appeared and the door opened and there was the stars, the cosmos. And it felt like she was telling me, you can go traverse this if you if you'd like. I'm opening this door for you. So how does that align with what you know with Ellen?
1: Well, um, there is uh, Ellen of the Stars. You see, um, Ellen is my name now for uh, the dear goddess. So you'll find dear goddesses all over the world and other horned goddesses, of course, like Isis with her. Yes. Uh, I think it's a solar eclipse. I don't think it's the moon. She's the sun disk with that, which may be the presence of the moon, or it may be based on the old cattle of Egypt, Um Present. Um, we have Inanna, we have Venus, um, who is very much related to Taurus, um, the, the, the horned cow. You have all the Mesopotamian goddesses with their triple horned uh, headdresses. Um, you have all over Central Asia, there are Tales of goddesses with horns, um, some of them antlered, um, further in towards Eastern Europe. So Ellen, to me now, um, is very much a horned goddess or horn sp- or spirit of nature, spirit of the old trackways. Um, but if you look at Russian, Scandinavian, Central Asian star law, you there's often these stories of the deer. So the deer. In, for instance, in Mongolia, so there's um, petroglyphs that show this deer pulling a cart. Um, they say she may represent this figure called the Heglen, K-H-E-L-G-E-N, Heglen, who has swan's wings. And Ellen and Swan are actually linguistically uh, connected as well, but that's a, a different story. So Ellen's very much connected to the Swan as well. So this deer, this is like a reindeer or an elk with swan's wings. Will fly across the sky at night. So, probably representing Ursa Major and Ursa Minor that are in Western Europe are the bear, great bear and little bear, but here they're the deer. So, it's the deer and her calf. And Orion the hunter is hunting them across the sky at night. And he eventually kills the mother deer. But of course, the calf is there still, the daughter. So it's this eternal cycle. Now, in the far Arctic regions, I've heard that this story is not just is not connected with daily cycle through the stars of the deer, uh, the deer spirit or goddess, the mother goddess deer, because of course they have sort of, can have up to six months winter and six months light, so they wouldn't have the normal daily cycle. Mm. So therefore. It's at the winter solstice that the mother deer will, I'm doing atlas here, will dive down and take the sun when it's low and take it into the forest so there's darkness. And then we have her coming back in spring with her cart flying back um, and she brings the moss, the greenery that... um, that the, the, the reindeers can eat. So everyone's celebrating because there's um, the sun's return. She's Oh, yeah, she brings the sun back in her chariot, sun and the, the green food. Um, so everybody knows that their herds will live, that them and their children will live, that the light's coming back, the warmth's coming back. And it, to me, that is so like Father Christmas with his reindeer bringing gifts. It's just that um, uh, this was actually the mother reindeer. She doesn't have a human in the carriage. So you'll also find the reindeer goddess um, or the goddess that, that has reindeers associated with her to the Sami people will be uh, Bevi, who also brings back the sun. But, um, she brings back the sun and puts it back in the sky. Uh, so you have here the deer goddess Ellen. We call her Ellen. In history, and in, in, you know, to these people, she's called different things, because Ellen just means dear. Uh, the dear goddess is bringing back the light. She's bringing back the sun, but she also has her daily cycle across the sky, across the sky. It, as I said earlier, I think that um, if we look, we'll find it. Um, uh, but Ellen, or the dear goddess, or an antlered goddess, or a horned goddess of some description can be found on the earth and in the psychic realms of the trance journeys. She's a guide because so many people like yourself have had that experience. It's not just me Um, and in the stars and the the wider cosmos. And also of course, that very important uh, path, um, the seasonal year, Mm -hmm. she's there in the background of all of that. Wow, Mm -hmm. pretty amazing. Because I think you made an important point earlier in a way, she's in our DNA. It there's peoples around the world, um, for instance, that believed tribally, that they were descended from wolves. But um, if you look at ancient Siberian and Mongolian, there's legends that they're descended from the great deer mother and the great elk mother, that they are the mother of the tribe. Now, whether that they they believe that literally or symbolically, we must carry some of that knowledge in us, some some atavistic level, and that certain of us, it gets activated either through meditation or at certain sites, or just because of our makeup. Um, It doesn't need to be a sort of supernatural thing. For all we know, it could be something quite natural that is within us, that's awakened. Because when we go back to our ancestors from wherever they came from in the world, They would primarily have a symbiotic relationship with the animal that was going to give them food, was going to give them skins for their clothes and their tents, that was going to give them bones uh, and antlers to make their tools from sewing needles to something that carves out whole cave systems, as we know happened um, with antler picks. They're going to uh, eat the ones um, that have to be cold. They're going cold. so not so they had they would have seen themselves as the reindeer people in fact that's what they're actually called um if it was the reindeer and that's what we're talking about today so you're going to have to understand the animals that keep you alive completely and you're also going to need to see their roots whether that's on land or in a psychic um shamanic uh journey above it mm. wow
0: yes that makes total sense um I'm just imagining I was kind of seeing someone, you know, cloaking themselves in in deerskin too and and lying on deerskin to sleep and wrapping their babies in this to keep them warm. And of course, you know, we've lost so many of those connections, right? Because we just go to the store and buy whatever we need. But I would have I I can feel that kind of really deep connection that that must have been present when you when you do that.
1: And it's also um, prevalent on them to keep the herd healthy as well. So you take out the ones that are sick, you take out the old ones. So you start to get animal husbandry Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you have to keep them safe from predators, uh, especially as the Neolithic progresses. And and so, you know, you've got, they'd be quite, they'd probably be quite happy without humans, but certainly um, it was happy. I would, I would imagine it's a happy relationship between the two. Mm -hmm.
0: Wow. Well, and one thing I didn't ask you at the, beginning that I kind of want to go back to and just you know kind of clarify how I don't know if this language divine feminine sacred feminine means anything to you or if it's goddess but sort of how does Ellen fit into that bigger picture for you of your understanding of you know I use the word sacred feminine or um yeah I don't know maybe that's my
1: question does that make sense well yeah um I've worked with goddesses for many, many years, if that's the right terminology. I've been, for for over 40, say 45 years, I actually adore all goddesses. I think the world can't have enough goddesses. And anybody like you or others who are working to bring goddesses to attention of people who who may find a, a, a sense of connection to that is fantastic. And um, at the moment, my friend Carrie and I run priestess training and goddess classes several times a year where we look at different goddesses all the time. And this started from something I did uh, when I had a bookshop in central London in 1990, early 90s. I started uh, the goddess group. And we do a different goddess every week, uh, and then people had to do an impromptu and unscripted Uh, ceremony to her so that they got a sense of connection. So as far as I'm concerned, um, all goddesses uh, are interesting and all goddesses are fabulous. Um, And if you want to give me a present at any time, anybody listening, goddess statues are my (laughs) favourite present. I don't think you can have enough. But for some people, they dedicate themselves just to one goddess. And that could be your very important point about practicality What I always say is, yeah, by all means, have whatever goddess you want to to dedicate yourself to its personal choice. And some people feel drawn. Um, You might want something that is sort of more exotic and uh, beautiful or mysterious. Or, you know, there was a lot of interest uh, in the 90s and 2000s in dark goddesses, you know. But I said, you know, there's also, if you're a midwife or a nurse, you might want to dedicate yourself to Brigid who of ireland who is very much of that um, essence or if you work as an undertaker which a lot of people do um very important job you might want to connect yourself to hecate or one of the psychopomp goddesses if you're a writer you may want to dedicate yourself to seshat now these are um either equestrian, equestrian, or you work with horses, or you have an interest or hobby in any of the things, you might want to dedicate yourself to a pona. Um, it, so Ellen, for me, as is not the only goddess I work with. And I do tend to see her now very much, goddess is a difficult word, actually. Yeah. Goddess is becoming complicated because we're so, I, it's difficult to, to see it outside of specific contexts like, Greece, Rome, Egypt, where they are goddesses. Um, I'm starting to see Ellen in my own terms. I don't. It it doesn't matter what other people choose to do, but in my own terms, it's very much a spirit of the deer and a spirit of the tracks of the land. And if you know, she's still a goddess to me. But I, I'm trying to come to to, to get the terminology right, and it's not quite there yet. But what does she mean to me um, in terms of the broader goddess spirituality? She's the one who locks me to my interest in the ancient trackways of the land, which has been there since, you know, as I said earlier, I I sort of slid into that in teenage years. Um, My interest in animals, my interest in wilderness and nature and shamanism and all the things that I personally feel at home with and prehistoric art and all the things from childhood and i've never thought about it till you asked me that question all those things from childhood she links me back to what were my main spiritual awakenings Mm -hmm.
0: yeah i love that um and i had a a question a thought and it just it just flew with Ellen right out of my head, um, so we'll see. <laughs> we'll see if it comes back. But, but I guess I, I, as we're we're kind of winding down here, I, I did want to ask one more question because I know that you noted this both in your writings and you you've said it as well. That um, it seems like uh, Ellen is really has come forward for a lot of people in the last twenty-ish years or so, and I'm wondering if you have any kind of hunch into why that is. And I just remembered, okay, put a pin in that because I want to say what I thought of too. I wanted <laughs> to reflect back on your your statement of how the, your understanding of Ellen is evolving. Um, I don't know why, but I feel like it's important for me to say that even when I talk about my own journey, um, I think these things that we receive from whatever, the unseen world, the spirit world, they're filtering through us. And we are a very particular filter with our own lens and experiences and traumas and backgrounds and all of that. And so, um, and you know, I don't know how you feel about that, but for me, that's why it's always, I'm, I'm always kind of, kind of interested in the essence as opposed to the perfect alignment because what I'm gonna see and how I'm even gonna speak it is gonna be informed by all of my own stuff. Um, and that's different than yours.
1: Absolutely. I think you have to discipline yourself, you know, um, well I do, um, that it is not worth spending hours of valuable lifetime arguing with idiots on Facebook about what is actual academic fact about a goddess. Now we can argue about academic fact about where we believe as far as knowledge so far tells us she came from, what she was associated with, but um, essentially our our personal connections uh, and feelings and visions we're shown—it has to be meaningful for us. Yeah. And moving again to your question earlier about in the in the wider spiritual world, in the wider goddess world, I I think that um, everyone can do as they will. And history is really interesting. You know, it's really really interesting to read a book on an academic book on Artemis, but. In our classes that Carrie and I do, the whole point is history lesson first, geographical lesson first, but then how is she relevant to you today? Mm -hmm. Why would Sekhmet from ancient Egypt be relevant to you today? Why would Bast, the goddess represented by a cat, be uh, relevant to you today? Why would um, Inanna be relevant to you today? And we always find out why they are because goddesses, whether they're a deer goddess or any of the other goddesses from around the world through history and across vast um, tracts of time and, 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 and land and cultures, they were relevant to people's lives. We live very different lives, but we will always find that the goddesses are not something that were back in history that we're we're interested in them and we're maybe going to do some cosplay. I tell you, we don't do cosplay in our groups, but some people dress up in yes. costumes and wigs. And that's fine if they want to. But to me, it's how is she relevant? How is a particular goddess, whether it's Ellen or anyone else, relevant to the person who's having problems at work, problems in their relationship, or not just problems, they're not just about problems, or who has a particular hobby or has a particular interest or is doing some research or is, is studying um, at university? How is that goddess that they've chosen to have a connection with, or a connection has just happened, how is she relevant? Why would you invoke her? Um, and you'll find that they're just all of them are as relevant today um, as they ever were, just in different ways, because as you said, we, we have different lives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, mean, be, I think I'd invoke Ellen if I got lost uh, in, in, the, in the wilderness.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Yes, way back.
0: <laughs> yes. Oh, I love that. Well, and and then do you do you have any you know further thoughts? I guess on why you think Ellen in particular has been showing up for? Oh so, yes, so um, many, so many women.
1: I guess well, I have you know. thought, I've thought about it a lot over the last few decades, and I can't. The answer I have is not a helpful one, but. Since she started revealing herself to us, or calling, you know that that first thing that happened to me was a call from beyond the step. The reindeer lands are going. Reindeers are dying. I found out about the gold mining when I was staying with my friend, the late Storm Constantine, and we were. We were. She was producing this book for me. She she did all the design and and um, layout and everything and uh, basic editing, and I woke up at her house from a dream where I saw these reindeer, a few, a few reindeer standing on this dust-blown dirt road with the whole area around it, just rock devastated. It, it, it obviously no trees there anymore. And they were looking sad and bewildered, and their coats were all patchy, like mangy, and they, they were just on this rock. There was no grass or a snow or anything. And suddenly I saw, and this happens a lot. This is not a lot. This has happened a few times with Goddess Dreams. I saw these letters in gold saying AU. And then suddenly I woke up at six in the morning. And I thought well, AU means gold. It's the chemical symbol for gold. And I just thought, I wonder... And, you know, you can't make this stuff up if you wanted to. Just open the laptop whilst I'm still in the bed. Open the laptop, type in reindeer, reindeer lands in gold. And there was all these articles. um, This is, what, 2014? It's all these articles, one after the other, of how the reindeer's um, lands and as I said they have their own particular roots and ways of find where they find their food and where they go to mate and all, uh, to reproduce and other babies um, that they, they, they now there's lots of gold under this land um, and so the mining companies are coming in hmm. so to answer your or to not answer your question hmm. I just thought why is she coming back now it's almost like we're hearing the cries for help yeah. from the animals. Uh, the spirit of the land um, and the spirits of these animals, uh, the goddesses of these animals. Um, the terminology is so difficult here. It's almost as if we're hearing the cries, but I don't know what we do to stop it. So I don't want to end on a sad note, but that—that's so. Hopefully, we'll have another question, but that—that's—that's that's all I can fathom is that we're hearing, we're hearing the cries because it's a distressing time mm-hmm, because once those lands have gone they've gone once the beasts, the herds have gone they're gone yes
0: well yes and i um hmm. i think that's what that's making me think of as well is um something that's just interesting to me in, in general about this exploration of the divine feminine and however you approach her and goddesses is that it so often seems like that connection and that awakening starts as an invitation for personal transformation. But it seems to me more and more over the years that that is just the beginning point that, that there's also this invitation to see ourselves as part of a collective and part of a community. And that like just starting with the the personal transformation is the starting point. It is not your ending point. And that she is showing up to invite you to change to transform to heal to do whatever it is you need to do and <laughs> there's this other meaning because we are not we don't you know it goes back to what we were talking about earlier we do not exist independently we like to think we do but we do not and um we are responsible you know for yes One, for the for the well-being of all, of of all of this
1: yes and and we've reached a time where animals um that I took for granted uh, around, you know, animals uh, all around the world that we took for granted as children, um, especially some of the bigger ones, but also the small ones too, uh, and birds and insects are actually becoming extinct in our lifetimes. Yeah. And they, these were things that were just there when you were a kid. Right. And whether or not the goddess uh, is, it, you know, whether or not then it's done in the name of the goddess, I think the really positive thing we're seeing now is young people around the world saying this is we're not going to let this happen? Yeah. Uh, how you stop it against the big corporations and those sort of phenomenally short-sighted, greedy interests? I don't know, but you have the Extinction Rebellion people. So they, you know they're totally dedicated, um, and they've heard the call differently. But it's yeah, I think um, that was our way of hearing the call, um, and now you've got these amazing young people. Just um, you know, rising up all over and saying, um, "We're not going to let this happen." My dog's trying to come in there.
0: (laughs) Well, and so maybe that's our maybe that's our high that maybe that's our higher note and our invitation. You know, there's hope. Yes, there's hope, and there's also I think it's an inquiry for any of us who are interested in the the goddess to hold is what. What are we being invited to step into both for ourselves and then and in terms of collective healing? And I do just wanna mention really quickly, since you mentioned Extinction Rebellion, if for those of you that are interested in that movement, um, which is a, I, I'm gonna mess it up a bit, but I know it's, like a, it's kind of like a radical arts movement to really call attention to climate change and to do something about it. Um, uh, one of my guests last summer, Matt Osmond, uh, who wrote a beautiful book of poetry called The Black Madonna Songs, um, or The Song of the Black Madonna, Black Madonna song, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, I was very involved in Extinction Rebellion, so I'll I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes too for people who are interested. There's
1: and- just one thing I would like to say, um, and it takes me back to my lay hunting days, which was that um, while while we think global, look local. Um, whereas we're looking for local alignments and local folklore uh, out in the countryside, um, is look for your local goddess. I mean, by all means, acknowledge goddesses from everywhere, uh, like I do. Um, lots of people are drawn to ancient Egypt, um, Mesopotamia, uh, which is amazing. But also, one way to make a real contact is to find the, the goddess spirit of your place, where you've either where you've come from, excuse me, or where you've moved to, um, because you'll find places in your local landscape um, where. The connection might be really um, much easier than just something like sort of more nebulous. Um, so that's a good place to start, um, I think. Uh, um, you're, and, and, and if you're interested in, in Ellen and the Horned Goddess, um, I would imagine many, many places around the world um, had uh, deer paths.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Mm. And old straight trackways.
0: Yes yes there's a deer path right behind my house
1: mm. well there you go I your know. Yeah.
0: there you go it's um,
1: coming fast
0: <laughs> yes well and they're all I mean gosh they're they're all over my yard it's quite a beautiful thing um oh this is such a wonderful conversation Caroline thank you so much for joining me I'm so glad we were able to do this and I'm so grateful for your time and your knowledge and for you sharing it with us
1: well thank you I've really enjoyed it and I'm really uh, I think it's amazing what you're doing yeah
0: Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to all of you who are listening, as always. Um, I'm really, really glad that you're showing up and you're interested. And, um, you know, if you, if you like the show, please um, subscribe to it. Give it a favorable review. That really helps other people find it. Um, this is very much a grassroots effort. So that's great. If you can take the time to give it a review, that's really helpful. And then tell other people about it, too. And you can do all those things if you are so inclined. And until next time, take good care. And I will speak with you again soon. Home to Her is hosted by me, Liz Kelly. You can visit me online at hometoher.com, where you can find show notes and other episodes. You can read articles about the Sacred Feminine, and you'll also find a link to join the Home to Her Facebook group for lots more discussion and exploration of her. You can also follow me on Instagram at Home to Her to keep up to date with the latest episodes. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you back here soon.